This is the Mod Pod, brought to you by Modality, helping businesses optimize their Microsoft technologies everywhere. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Mod Pod. We have three further topics for you this week, and we are going to talk about Operator Connect. We are going to talk about the legal uh, decision in Portugal about what bosses can and cannot do. Uh, and we are going to talk about learning and whether or not community learning is overtaking formal learning. Uh, with me, we have Paula Smith as a consultant and we have Chris Irons, who's a managing consultant. And I suggest we get straight into it. And here we go. Okay, so Operator Connect was um, launched earlier this year. Um, I just want to see what you guys think about it. Is it going to change the marketplace? Um, is it going to be a game changer? So there's been a lot of noise, I think, about Operator Connect, uh, obviously definitely from the big players who are, who are getting involved in it. Um, it might be worth, do you want to just give us sort of a 30 second quick dash as to, as to what Operator Connect is um, so that everybody who's listening in understands, I guess. Yeah, so Operator Connect is a, um, a new directly integrated solution from Microsoft working with um, vendors who are part of the Operator Connect program um, where they are providing um, PSTN and SBCs as a service, but directly integrated into, into Teams. Um, so it's very similar in, from a user and customer experience to the way that, um, that calling plans works in that um, customers can acquire numbers, uh, configure them directly on users without having to have SBCs running in their own, infra in their own estates, no direct routing requirement. It's just simply, they find a, a carrier who's part of that Operator Connect program and um, and they sign an agreement with them to provide their PSDN and calling capabilities into Teams. Um, and really, it's a, a an alternative to calling plans. I think I think from <clears throat> from my viewpoint, I've probably got quite a simplistic view of the whole sort of telephony thing because you know you guys are way more technical than I am, but. Um, You've got your calling plans, which is basically Microsoft providing your telephony component into Teams. This is basically other companies doing exactly the same thing, but not through Microsoft's small, medium, large type offering. Um, so I guess I guess if we look at <clears throat> if we look at customers who are looking to move their telephony in um what options have you got you've got some microsoft calling plans you've got operator connect you've got direct routing through whether it's hosted by somebody else or your you know or, or, or yourself um in my simplistic head they're all very similar is that fair is it not fair it it, it seems to be much of a muchness really 
I think it comes down to um, whether you want to manage that equipment yourself and manage the um, the carrier relationship um, yourself. Obviously, cooling plans is is the simplest it gets because everything is Microsoft. You don't really have to worry about about anything. You just add numbers from Microsoft to your users or your or your services within Teams. Um, that's as simple as it gets, right? I think Operator Connect provides a, a kind of a middle ground between what Microsoft provides in calling plans and what direct routing provides, which gives that flexibility to organizations to, to have more management of their, their telephony. Um, and with that, you know, having to, to manage the way that SBCs work, how they integrate with your existing on-premise infrastructure, um, you know, that has an overhead. You need, you need people who understand it um, within your, your organization. Um, you need um, an ability to support it internally as well. Um, obviously, if you have hosted direct routing, that probably is the next step closer to Operator Connect because you're having another third party manage it for you um, or the carrier indeed might, might um, host those that SBC direct routing infrastructure for you as well. And that kind of takes away that, that requirement for your organization to manage that infrastructure and that relationship with the carrier, which is, is, probably, a, um, is probably a good step. Um, but does Operator Connect just make it generally a lot more simple for organizations to consume phone system? I think it probably does for small to medium enterprises um, who don't really have a complex telephony um, or don't have complex telephony requirements. Um, and that's where I see them fitting, where Operator Connect kind of fits. I think it's it's really those those smaller organizations who, who don't really have any existing complicated telephony needs. All they need is dial tone, but perhaps calling plans as a solution is is possibly too expensive because their rate cards aren't particularly competitive um, but also or even available or even regions. availability yeah exactly um operator connect is going to expand obviously at the moment i i think there's around 21 yeah. um then um, carriers out there who are signed up to the operator connect program and that's going to just increase over time and there's going to be more people sign up to it and it may be that a customer's existing incumbent carrier ends up being an Operator Connect um, vendor um, as part of that that Operator Connect program, or they might already be. And so there's a perhaps a, a a more simple migration process to move over to the Operator Connect model. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think <clears throat> I think the Microsoft calling plans piece hasn't taken up as as well as potentially Microsoft thought it might have done. You know, it, it definitely works for you know, a good number of organizations. But I think when you, you've got complex telephony and you've got that sort of global reach, it does come unstuck in places. Um, for me, I think there's this whole commoditization story, because if you think once you've actually got your telephony into teams 
whether you continue to use an on-prem SPC for direct routing or whether you then move it into an operator connect model, etc. It seems to be a natural progression because once your dial plans are sorted, you're talking about porting numbers from from you know supplier A to supplier B, which is a little bit like sort of porting your mobile phone contract now, isn't it? So I think it's gonna there's an element to say that once you've done the hard work, the whole operator connecting and not having to have people maintaining kit and all that sort of stuff has got to be there's got to be quite a big uptake for it, I would have thought. I mean, we've we've done a lot of stuff in the past. I mean, Paula, you've got SBCs and you've done telephony migrations and all sorts of things like that. Um I I guess, you know, from a customer base, if they had the option of removing that management layer from that voice infrastructure, it's got to be appealing, isn't it? Ah, no, that's all right. That's all right. And I have to edit this. So, yeah, yeah I think it offers a stepping stone in a market where Microsoft couldn't cater for, to be honest with you. I mm. think it's a really um, good idea. I'm so sorry, guys. I've yeah, it's really gone, isn't it? Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Grab yourself a drink. We'll we'll carry on talking. Um, sorry. But, uh, no, no, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you if you look at the whole way that the the voice piece has gone, it's becoming much it's becoming greatly simplified as we go through this journey. Um, oh, I said journey. I should I find myself every time I say that. Um, <laughs> but it is because you think about it, once you've actually made the decision to go to Teams and you've, I don't know, maybe you've used your SB infrastructure, SBC infrastructure that was used for, for Skype for Business. Once you've got it into Teams, it's it's kind of, you've got almost everything you need in place. So why would you not just turn around? If you've got an on-prem, you know, uh, BT manage your numbers, for example, um, on-prem, and they're part of Operator Connect, why would you not just go, actually, yeah, just just, just do it for us? Yeah, I, I think I think when you compare Operator Connect to, um, to carrier-hosted SBCs, with direct routing, there really isn't much between it because at that point you're handing off everything to the carrier yeah. anyway. Um, I, I think the only the the kind of positive um, thing that I think Operator Connects is is that management simplified management experience you get within the Teams admin center of just being able to just say, right, I want a number today, I want to attach it to this user or this call queue, and I'm just going to do it, and within ten minutes you've got your number and you're you're ready to go with your your user or your or your call your new auto attendant or call queue. Yeah. Obviously if you're using direct routing, whether it's hosted by a carrier or third party, you're gonna have to go through a process to get that configured. And that's gonna take time and you're you're probably talking, you know, minimum 24 hours to get something new in service like that. And I think that's where Operator Connect really comes into its own. And the only reason why calling plans probably didn't get there is because when you go to Microsoft, you put all your eggs in one basket. Suddenly, all your numbers are with them. Yeah. And what happens if you have some other service, which isn't Teams, where you need one of those numbers connected to? And that then becomes a, a problem. But if mm -hmm. that 
is with your existing carrier who gives you that flexibility to say, well, these number ranges or these particular individual numbers, we're going to associate to Operator Connect or, or direct routing, but these other ones we're going to send through our other SPC service that we're providing with you to, to some other system. We can do that. And I think that's the flexibility you get with Operator Connect and that carrier flexibility that you, you get, especially with, with kind of um, really experienced SIP carriers. Exactly. Yeah. They can apply calls and you have the ability to get the CDR and review the call data the same way as a normal call. Yeah, it is just taking away a what it, what is probably now an unnecessary layer of complexity. Yeah, you know, th there's always going to be the, you know, the particularly complicated clients, and we know, you know, we know who they are. You know, the difficult ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you know, if if you're a, you know, sort of operating in some of the big you know, countries maybe across Europe or whatever it is, and you've just got straight telephony requirement, really not turn around to your character, yeah, your carriers and just say, yeah, go and do it. It's got to be appealing. Yeah, I, yes. I, de I definitely think so. I think, I think there's, when you start getting to the, the enterprise market, I think you have a lot of complexity within those environments, which probably makes Operator Connect not viable. Um, mm. You know, organisations have really well-defined automated provisioning processes and maybe the operator connect model wouldn't work there because you can't necessarily get operator connect in in all countries that these enterprise customers cover and then you're having to have one provisioning process for one country and another provisioning process for another which probably doesn't work direct routing you know you can standard standardize across the board i think because of the limited countries that operator connects in at the moment that probably um and then the number of carriers who have signed up to it, I think that's always going to limit some large organizations, but, um, but SMEs, they're going to become the minority in, in, in the case, aren't they? The, the big enterprises. Yeah, I think so. And the more <clears> of those <throat> big enterprises, which move to, to, um, to, um, centralized SIP, um, and get single SIP carriers providing services yeah. into, to most of their countries, that problem kind of goes away. Yeah, and I think as well, <clears throat> excuse me, you've passed it to me now, Paula, thank you. <laughs> so um, sorry. I think when they, you also take into account that Microsoft have up their telephony SLA to four nines, and you've got some of these big carriers in the background who will have, let's face it, you know, the carrier grade um, uh, SPC infrastructure, your, your risk is also sort of starting to to drop about using cloud telephony as well. So yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time to watch. But mm. uh, I think we've already we've already started to notice a drop in general on the number of SBCs that that we're you know deploying new. Yeah, obviously we've got some that are being reutilized, you know, reused from uh S S I can't even say it now. Sky for business. Um deployments but there's definitely a drop and i think that that's got to be you know just down to the direction that the the telephony world is moving in isn't it yeah for sure i think i think most organizations want to to move to a um a 
kind of monthly subscription model or something like that where they're not having to fork out in in huge capital expenditure costs and you know moving to either a hosted direct routing solution or something like operating connect is really uh, quite um, attractive to them so i, I can it's see it's definitely the way it's even available for conferencing as well you're great to yep. connect. yeah which yeah really which makes a big difference as well and if you've already got that well established yeah. so yeah so I, th I think it's going to happen isn't it i know it's sort of relatively early days at the moment but you know if it, it's going to gain momentum quite quickly i think and no bad i thing, don't think it's going to be utilized heavily by large enterprise so no. i think it's going to be mid-sized companies yeah the so, market for calling plans never allowed them to, to, you know, take advantage of that. So. so yes, I think the answer is yes. It is going to make a big difference, I think. But um, it'd be, be interesting to watch the next twelve months and see just how many carriers signed up to the program because I think that will really, really show how much uh, those carriers think that it is a a big deal. Yeah. And also to watch the enterprise space to see whether or not people do end up making that strategic decision to go that way and just changing carriers who are changing to carriers who are on it. Yeah, Even on a global level, who knows? Just like calling plans as well, you can you can kind of mix, mix and match your your um, telephony integration as well. So a single enterprise customer can go operate connect within a number of countries mm. but then they pr can provide a kind of centralized direct routing um, function to to leverage some of their on-premise um, telephony services like contact centers and and things like that um, so you don't have to just commit to just operate to connect you can actually yeah. do a bit of a hybrid of both to cover cover all bases and you can use a downstream SBC as well in order to, to migrate to operate to connect fully so Something yeah, that's true. Do. Yeah. So yes, we think because it's gonna it's gonna change, <laughs> but it's gonna be a slow one again. Cool. All right. Um, right. I suggest that we move on to topic two. Okay. Our next topic will be. Uh, we're just gonna talk a bit about the Portuguese government. In the last few weeks, they passed a law where uh, the employee is no longer allowed to contact the employees uh, outside business hours. Okay. So, so basically... What do you guys think about that? I, 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 I can't contact either of you <laughs> after <laughs> after half past five. Um, yeah, I it's, it's a real interesting one, I think, here, because there's for me i think there's a couple of things one is the practicalities of it and two is the cultural difference between the uk way of working and other parts of europe so depends on the industry as well yeah yeah it doesn't exactly. suit every industry well, I mean, IT I think... industry, I'm not so sure if it's completely, for example, Fleet Street. Um, uh, yeah, so if you're, to if, be contactable if you're in journalism, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't tell you about this amazing breaking story. Um, Until nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, 
I guess there's a cynical thing to say that if people introduce that, will will if, will HR teams or, or, or organisations just change people's contracts to say, you know, in, in in appropriate circumstances, we'll need to contact you outside of business hours or something like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds, I think it sounds rather idealistic. I like the concept of, of, of you know, not bothering people in their personal time, but, you know, I, I, it's not something that I would tend to do anyway. Um, or if I do, I send people a message in the fact that it's a brain dump. It doesn't mean I need a response there and then. But I don't know about the practicalities of having that as a legal, a legal no-no. Exactly, yeah. and the companies who will contact the employees, they will get fined. So, do we know how big the fine is? Is it, is uh, it a slap across I the wrist? Couldn't find it, out. I tried, I tried to find out, but yeah. I couldn't find out. It's, it's definitely a monetary figure to it. Yeah, I, I think I think they're attacking it the wrong way. Really, um, you know, there are needs within businesses to communicate with with people outside mm. of working hours. You know. You know, we work in those types of environments, you know, systems go down. Um, there are occasions which necessi necessitate having to communicate with employees out of hours. Um, but I think the better way to approach it would be to say, look, you know, you as an employee shouldn't feel that you have to respond to a message out of hours. And, and bosses and managers who or colleagues who send messages shouldn't necessarily expect a response outside of working hours. And I think that's where the cultural change should should be. And I think mm. obviously home working and COVID has, has made flexible working hours far more common. Um, so people with that have thought, right, I can message people whenever and they might be available because they might be working different hours than normal. Um, yeah. So I might get a response. But I think that's the key is might get a response. Yeah. And and I think the culture should be set um, that staff members who are not work, not currently in their working hours shouldn't feel like they have to respond. And it should be completely acceptable to respond when they get in and start their working day, day the following day. And I think that's the thing which needs to to probably be baked in. Yeah. Anything that I is done in extreme as well is also counterproductive. So there's oh. often, you know, a few departments that potentially the company that you're working for, if you are getting bothered, you know, every day and after hours, potentially it's not the right company for you. However, occasionally for you to, to be part of, you know, a conversation or important call, I don't think that's a big deal. Uh, I think it is really drastic what they're trying to implement. This is just my humble opinion. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're both right though. I think this this for me is not a legal issue. It's a cultural issue. You need to have that cultural lead from the from the very top to not get into the habit of just sending emails out at you know just because you're working at seven eight nine o'clock at night. You know, there's tools in there to, you know, Outlook tells you, why don't you consider sending this at so and so when they when that person's going to be backing up back online? Mm. So, 
you know, it, it's, I think it's all perfectly manageable. It's some of the habits of individuals within the organisation. You, you need to make it almost socially unacceptable to contact somebody but also the other thing as well i guess is it's a bit like um you know the, the boy who cried wolf if you if you are repeatedly sending messages outside of the working hours that becomes the norm but actually if you don't send messages outside of the working hours and then you do send one it's obviously important yeah mm-hmm at that point so it, it, you probably would take more notice it's like oh hang on a second i've got an email from you know from steve at 10 o'clock at night something's wrong i mean just <laughs> still insinuates so i'm checking my emails at 10 o'clock at <laughs> night which probably probably is true um but yeah i think I, I don't think you can enforce this thing i think you've got to you've got to drive it from a, a user experience and, a, and, a, and an employee sort of welfare type angle it's your choice if you want to work late, I guess, but yeah. Well, they drive away as well. Certain organisations actually moving to Portugal and headquarter there. Actually, if they are going to be, you know, having all those sorts of legal issues, because occasionally you do have to contact someone out of hours. You know, it's mm. not every day. It's expected almost that occasionally you will receive an email. You will receive a telephone call. It'd be interesting no. as well to see what the what the the process around what the sort of the grievance would be. Do you do you complain to your boss and then to HR, or do you, do you go to HR and say, "Hang on, my boss is messaging me outside of hours." I mean, that's not going to lead to a great working relationship, is it? So surely by that point, it's already slightly dead in the water, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Do the HR department report themselves to the the authorities? It, it, yeah, it doesn't sound sorry, like. Sorry, sorry, we've yeah. got we've got one of our managers is messaging one of our people outside of work. It's, it's like, <laughs> God, I can't see how you would practically enforce it. I don't know how it's how it's implemented. It will be interesting to see when it 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 must be more of a kind of more of a loose law. And to try and discourage it rather than actually really enforce it. Um, but I, I think I think the key is just just socially making it, you know, a bit more unacceptable, as you say, to to bombard employees with with messages and and expect responses in the evenings. Because I think that that isn't right um, in most in most industries. Um, but we were talking the other day about that. Um, was it KPMG or some of the? I can't remember which organisation it was now, but they, they, um, their bankers. Um, not it wasn't KPMG, but anyway, their their bankers. Oh, JP Morgan, the, JP the, the, Morgan. The, the CIO or whatever it was. Who, yeah, yeah. That, that was it. And he he just said, "Look, our staff are paid exceptionally well, and with that comes an extended working day." Um, and and it's not, you know, it might not be written in contracts that they have to work these extended hours, but it's it's expected, and people then yeah. have the choice as to whether they want to work for that company or not. So I think there are there are um, exceptions where, you know, people have the choice as to whether they work in that type of environment or not, and if they don't want to work in that type of environment, they they can leave. Um, but I think that's 
you know that's an extreme case and i think most organizations expect their staff to work their contracted hours um and but to be there available if if there is a a crisis or something which does need immediate attention and you know that's sometimes it. and i think um, i think it's got it's got that rule has got to be aimed at protecting i would have said some are probably some of the the lower grade employees who potentially don't have the you know feel they have the power to be able to turn around and go no uh, i'm not answering or just not answering it until the following day i think you're absolutely right you know the likes of the jp morgan bloke um when that was reported you know that is you are getting large amounts of money and it probably is it just goes with the territory i'm going to make loads yeah. of money i'm going to flog myself into the ground for a period of time and that's the way it's going to be um so i, I guess this you know this decision on portugal is to you know the stop the people who are being pushed to work in the evening rather than just thinking actually do you know what? i've got some stuff to finish off i'll jump on for a couple of hours and and kill it but again you know even best will in the world if that is the motivation and that's what they're really targeting a it's not how it sort of comes across in in the reporting which you know journalists i think have a way of spinning things to make them more sensational than than necessarily they are but it still comes back down to how do you police it how do you are you basically just saying that you know someone who's feeling slightly sort of beaten up by their boss can turn around to hr and go sorry i want to report them for messaging me outside of work i, I think there's a there's a there's a difficult difficult conversation in there because effectively you're you're dobbing your your line report in so when do you pull that metaphorical trigger exactly and they also seeing an increase after covid of people working from home so they're trying to enforce that they don't work above and beyond more hours because they yeah. already see be seeing that they're working more hours than they should so potentially they're just trying to think about the future and saying oh, more and more people are going to work from home from now on. So yeah. therefore, they're even actually thinking about um, forcing the employees to pay for uh, the electricity bill, increased in electricity bill and telephonic costs and internet, etc. Yeah. So, okay. I wonder, if, go I, I wonder if this is more a case of in portugal specifically whether this comes down to kind of employment tribunals and things where they actually need to justify why or somebody has a complaint against a company and has to be able to justify why they're or build up a case against their employer um and they can then cite the fact that this this abusive use of of out of hours communication was um was kind of systematic within that organization that that might be sort of thing which that law then supports the employee to actually uh, um, kind of defend themselves in those type of cases i wonder if it's that kind it, of thing that, i agree with you yeah, i was gonna say uh, now minister, you said that, mm -hmm. that the minister she cited that in the article chris to be honest with you okay, yeah. yeah she did she's just trying to preempt potentially as going back into the dark ages when the unions used to kind of dictate and you know push a few laws changes etc so i think you're absolutely right 
suspect day to day it's not going to change things no. much at all but at least it gives employees a bit of protection cool well you won't you won't get emails out from me at the end of the day <laughs> but if we do i'll be hiding from anybody else <laughs> cool all right brilliant um should we tackle the uh, the third and final then right so my topic for this week is um has community-based learning so your youtubes your forums blogs whatever it is um largely replaced formal structured training uh, and the reason i ask this is because there seems to be the pace of change of technology is now so fast it seems to me that there's a growing pattern that the community can react to that quicker than people who are formulating structured courses so do we think this is a, a, a thing that's going to carry on or am i barking up the wrong tree no you're absolutely correct i think it's a taste of things to come uh, for example i was studying for exam for microsoft teams and within six months everything all the videos that i've watched was completely out of date so you might as well not bother with those items and literally just go to technet go to forums learn with colleagues uh you know lab work etc but i i truly believe that you're absolutely correct i think structure work is is structure studying it's completely the leap it needs to be replaced i think so we have <clears throat> We won't mention them, but we have some, you know, internal training tools that's um, also internal. We use internally, we use a third party um, training tool and there's a lot of content on there. But you look at how quickly. Even just just the Teams interface changes and new features come in and things are being added to it. If it, it just feels too fast for the likes of those to be able to create the stuff and then publish them. It's definitely a challenge. It's definitely become more challenging, hasn't it? I, th I think there's, I think somehow you need to find a middle ground between the two because you're right, you know, that, that kind of prefabricated content, which, which, you know, six months down the line doesn't resemble the product anymore, which we're seeing, you know, all the time happen now is, is problematic you know how do they keep on maintaining those and updating them it, it's it's almost impossible but on the other side of it the community there's just so much information available and of varying quality and reliability <laughs> yes. as well so you know when you go on to a a vendor who kind of training portal you know that's information on there curated from people that you trust they're kind of you know yeah. the sources which should be vetted and and you know that the material is going to be be reliable but i think the community-based learning kind of opens the door to anybody putting content mm -hmm. on there and it may be right it may be wrong and i think that's probably the for me that's that's where there's a bit of a um a gap um i do think we need a way for training material to kind of organically update and us to be able to get the latest available 
in a medium that is easy to consume. But I don't know whether it's just forums. You know, I go onto forums and I, I garner a lot of information from them. But does that replace my need to spend three hours going through some structured training training material? I'm not sure it I'm not sure it hundred percent does. I think there's a time and a place still for that. Mm-hmm. And if I want to learn a topic that I don't know a lot about, then I think probably I would want that kind of more structured training. The, the zero to hero stuff, I think, yes, the structured training still needs to be because you need to understand the methodology and the logic behind it all. Mm. Um, so I think that's fine. It, the, there does need to be a way for that to be updated far quicker. Um, and ideally, at the time that the changes are made, you know, so maybe, you know, if we take Microsoft, for example, and this isn't a, a slight on them, but if they're going to change the product, part of that product release needs to be that the content is then updated at the point of release. So, you know, and I think they're pretty good at it in general. But, you mm. you know, how many times do you go and search for something on on the Internet? So how do I do this? How do I do that? And you get there and you look at it, you look at the instructions and go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you get to a bit, it's like, oh, hang on, I haven't got that. That's, that's in the wrong place or that menu's not there or, you know, it, it, whether it's work related or not, it, that community piece, that's where it sort of, I think, falls down is when you get into the version history because, once you've uploaded it onto, I don't know, pick on YouTube, it's there. Do you go and take it down afterwards and recreate a new one when the next version uh, comes out? Probably not. It it almost needs to be a bit more like the way that updates to Wikipedia occur. You know, they are almost in real time. You know, you hear about news of somebody, a celebrity or something, and no sooner as that news hit hit the tabloids. Wikipedia is updated to reflect that, yeah. but it also gets um, updated by other members. So if it becomes, if if what's put in that update is not factual or changes, then it quickly gets amended to be factual. So if you yeah. had, if you had, kind of I guess documentation or learning material about a particular topic, and that's changing. Let's say Microsoft in, introduce a new feature to the way that, you know, and this happens all the time. There's a new configuration item within a call queue. And if that comes out and then the material related to call queues, whether it's Microsoft documentation or or some kind of learning material, gets automatically updated by the community, but is kind of vetted by the community as well to make sure it's accurate. Then yeah. I think that then becomes a more trustworthy source of of information i think the problem at the moment is where do you go like where do you find that that update happened at the moment you find a lot of blogs about different issued by different people which are released at different points in time of different qualities and i think i think that method of of learning is not is perhaps unreliable interesting to see whether or not the introduction of microsoft loop kind of changes that because you could theoretically create a training guide that is just in one place it's a static document it's always the same place you go and yet if you change one of the menu options or something you go to the back end 
Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is you've got it configured and you make the change in there, bang, all of a sudden your technical documentation is straight up to mm. up to scratch. So I think maybe the technologies are coming in to support that more um, uh, up-to-date, accurate place of yeah, learning. But you've still, you've still got so many different places to go. You, you'd need almost one reference library, wouldn't you? It's a bit more agile way of maintaining documentation isn't it i think at the moment the problem we even see this with microsoft documentation that it's it's several months behind what's available and that and that's difficult for us as you know people who sometimes need to quote technical information from sources and we find that even microsoft documentation doesn't reflect necessarily what's been released already to to the mm. public um, and it, it comes a little bit later but I think the problem is, is that there's too much emphasis on making sure that that's 100% that what is updated in that document has gone through various different review cycles. And that means that it takes time to get released. Whereas perhaps I think people are now a little bit more forgiving about, you know, grammatical errors and things like that. They more just want to get the technical information out as quickly as possible and, and to hear about it. If it then after it goes live, it then gets vetted and improved. I think that's 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 so acceptable that, to people these days. What's that? What's that saying? Um, perfection is the enemy of progress, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the one. I think you know when we're not in a world where software vendors release things every six months, and there's you know you go from version one to version two, and you know that the next one's not going to come out for ages so there's plenty of time for them to release documentation we you know we're we're getting updates to to software almost daily in some some cases you know yeah. there's not enough time to go through that that you know rigorous review cycle process that, that i think probably is still embedded in some organizations so something it's else that people need to change eh? <laughs> It's Sorry, what you the say? case that we can lab stuff. Most of the time I can lab stuff in advance and just prove it, it will work because things are changing all the time. So I, I do believe there is a, a little bit of, you know, learning on the job, uh, labbing stuff and implementing new items according to the documentation, following the documentation, working on it. I cannot learn myself by just reading a document. I actually had to implement something to, to learn and depends on the individual. Yeah, no, that's very true. In which case, there's then also a question about whether or not the labs that people provide are up to date. Exactly. So, okay, fair enough. So it's like another thing, we, we, all we do on these things is we just put the world to rights, tell people what they need to do and then um, wait for them to obviously go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, I think we're probably about there. Uh, thank you both. Very, very my voice, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think you need to go. You need to go and get some some lozenges or something like that. It's... I definitely do, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I've got my COVID jab tomorrow, so. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I can't use that excuse. <laughs> Chris, we can expect a day off coming up. All right. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no you're, not like you're, not like you're not like that. You're not like that. No, no. <laughs> cool. Um, 
Thank you very much both. Uh, so just a reminder, we have uh, Paula Smith, uh, consultant, and Chris Irons, managing consultant. Uh, that was episode 20. We will be back for episode 21 in a couple of weeks' time. That will be the last one for 2021. Um, so thank you both. I hope you enjoyed it. hope we'll see you thank back you. at some point. Take care, everybody. Sure you will. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. This is the ModPod, brought to you by Modality, helping businesses optimise their Microsoft technologies everywhere.